Uh, very good. If you have your Bible, we're going to read the same passage we read this morning, and I'm actually preaching largely the same message, but I want to focus on some slightly different um, ideas, um, and also want us to pray tonight. I want us to I want us to worship a little bit even before uh, I want to finish quicker than I normally would. So it's what is it? I'm going to finish at quarter past. So the band at quarter past, you can just begin playing the first song. Is that all right? And uh, because I want us to worship a bit, because I think uh, what I'm speaking, you'll understand if you weren't here this morning, you'll understand. It'd be stupid to, to, to preach this message and not create some space tonight for us to see Jesus more clearly. Um, I don't know uh, how, you know, we're all different ages. And maybe when you look at someone who's, maybe if you're younger and you look at someone who's nearly 40, uh, you, you can sometimes wonder, you know, what's actually going through somebody's head, you know, after 40 years, what are they thinking about now? Um, but I want to let me assure you that actually, once you're in, the, in your in your once you're middle age, you, you you pretty much still have all the same issues you ever had. Uh, you know, so if you're thinking, you know, well, once I've grown up, that you know this issue will go away, and I'll, maybe you know, I'll have different challenges. Largely, life remains the same sort of a challenge. Your biggest challenge in life, see. Your biggest challenge in life, you might think it's, if you're still living at home, you might think your biggest challenge in life is your parents, right? And your parents, they drive you crazy, right? There's people who think you have left home and they realize that actually it probably wasn't the parents because once you leave home, life still sort of doesn't quite work. And so maybe it's not your parents. Now what it is, it's your flatmates, right? So now your flatmates all, are all lunatics, right? You know, and I've found through the years, in all of the different contexts that I've lived in, everyone else has appeared to be insane and unreasonable, and I've come to the conclusion that the common denominator was me all along, and the reality is my biggest problem in life is me. My biggest challenge in any job I've had is not the job or the circumstance or the boss. The biggest challenge was that I was the employee in each of those circumstances. The different challenges that I've had, even when I was teaching classes, different classes, when, when, particularly in the UK when I was a, uh, like a relieving teacher, so I'd have just one class of mongrels for one day, right? So you get there at 9 o'clock, you get given the worksheets, which is not a big deal because they only do worksheets all the time. Anyway, you hand out the worksheets and you're trying to keep the lid on it till 3 o'clock, right? And I've, oh, do you know I found that there was good classes and bad classes, in good days and bad days, but it didn't take long for me to realize that the biggest contributing, the, the main contributing factor to a good day or bad day was where was I at? Do you know what I mean? I, you know, I'm, I've been a pastor of this church for five years. I was a youth pastor in Auckland for seven years. I've been involved in church all of my life. And do you know what I found when people leave church? They say things that make no sense because they're speaking from here. Something's happening inside of them. That's caused them to, to feel funny about everyone around. And, and, and they, 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 people can leave church, there's no problem. But it's just that when you have a conversation with someone about it, it's really hard to understand where they're coming from because it's, they're speaking about something that's happening in here. Have you ever had a conversation like that? Have you ever sat down, sometimes in a workplace you sit down and someone's just going on and on and on about how bad the job is? Uh, and someone else has just got the job, and they're just going on and on about how much better it is than the other job that they had. And the difference isn't that they're both at two different workplaces. The difference is that they've got different hearts. There's something different going on inside of them. And, and we're receiving our miracle offering tonight. We, we, we received a bunch of money this morning in our offering, and it's pretty exciting. We've, we've received already just a, a shade over $40,000 
which is pretty phenomenal, pretty phenomenal, just over $40,000 from 20 people contributing, which is an exciting thing. And I'm believing two things. I'm believing one day we'll see $100,000 contributed in our offering. Maybe that's tonight. We can find another 60000 in the room. How many people would like to have $60,000 to give away? That would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. That's a good starting point. That's a good starting point. Some of you need to get jobs to earn 60000 to give it away. You know, I've got a friend who's the same age as me, and when I first met him, I, I'm pretty much sure I just finished university, and he was just in his like final year, and he was at university in Auckland, and so his name's uh, his name's Mike, and he was running the university ministry. And Chris and I were married; we had a car, so he used to always make us pick up people from hostels, right? And we're from Paraparam; we didn't like new people. Like we already knew everyone in town. We were it was a whole new idea to meet people you haven't met before was the first time we'd ever done it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd have to go to the hostel and pick up these students. And he was just like, just, just, he was just, you know, those people, he's a man on a mission. Do you know what I mean? Didn't matter what you were doing, he'd find you in the foyer. He'd give you the names of people to pick up that night for Sunday night church. You know what I mean? And he's one of those people who would ask you, but then there was no way to say, there was just no, you, you tried to say no, but there's he had some sort of Jedi power. You know, these are, these are not the students you're looking for. And, you know, anyway, you'd find yourself. And anyway, he, he finished his business degree and got a job selling uh, life insurance and other, actually sells a whole range of insurances. Um, and he's just started selling insurance and financial um, consulting or financial advice. And he does a whole bunch of stuff like that. And he's just built up his business as he's gone. But, you know, right from the start when he first started working, um, him and then when he got married, him and his wife would look at their business for the year and they would decide at the start of the year how much money they would keep for themselves because they, he, was, he was earning on commission, right? So he'd say, well, I think a good salary would be X, Y, or Z. And so to start with, that was a goal. I'm going to aim for this as a salary because if you didn't sell anything, you didn't get paid anything, right? It was a, it was a real job, is how he would describe it. And so... Uh, he would work and work and work for the goal, but it didn't take long before he started making the goal switched around. Whereas, like, okay, this is I'm going to make this my salary for the year, and then after I've earned that much, everything else I'll earn I'll give to missions. Do you know sometimes some years from March through to December, he's just working for missions, which means two things. It means one number one, he's already earned a whole year's salary in three months, right? Which is the blessing of God he would describe it as. And good sale, good work, good salesman, good knows what he's doing. But it also means that every appointment he goes to after that, he can sell hard because it's not about him. He can, he can he can sell people this, he can sell people that, he can he can he can go for it meeting after meeting after meeting, and he doesn't get tired because he knows his money is building churches, it's building schools, it's changing people's lives. And he may never be a full-time missionary. He's done lots and lots of short-term mission trips uh, and connecting with those churches, but every single day he's a missionary. Every single day his money is working for him in a much bigger sense than in a savings account. He see, he could be stashing that money away, making himself more and more secure, couldn't he? But he just said, no, my life's got to be about the kingdom. And I just think there's young people here today, you, you could live that same sort of testimony or even bigger. Uh, another couple I know, they bought rental homes. How many people, you know, that's what you do, especially in, now, they, these people live in Auckland, right? So 10 years ago, they, they bought a rental home. And what they did is they geared it, they, they geared the, the rent and the mortgage, they got it exactly right, uh, and so that always... Uh, that as that began, because how rentals begin, you make no profit in the first year, maybe for the first three years you make no profit, right? 
but they geared it uh, so that as it goes through every single year, 90% of the profit uh, goes uh, to missions or goes to uh, things like miracle offering in church. So they've got, so instead of just giving them the offering one year, they said, hey, no, let's buy a rental property and then let's give the proceeds of that rental to miracle offering every single year forever. How many people know that house has got no mortgage now? It's probably renting for over $1,000 a week, such as the Auckland property market. So 10 years ago, it was just a small investment. Hey, let's do this cool thing. But now, every single day, when their tenants pay the rent, when the prices go up, when the rents go up, the kingdom of God extends, which is pretty cool, isn't it? I reckon it's cool. And I'll pray that you're inspired by those two stories. Let's read this passage from the Bible. Uh, Maddie's going to throw it up on the screen for us. And uh, I've got I think I've got it. Uh, here's one I prepared earlier. Uh, it says this, that uh, Jesus enters Jericho, and he made his way uh, through the town. Now, Jericho is the second biggest city in the, in the nation that they're part of, right? So it's like, uh, it's like if Wellington was Jerusalem, Jericho would be Palmas North. So it's a quality place full of quality people, right? Jesus enters Jericho, and he makes his way. I was trying not to make fun. Everyone's like, anyway, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. Uh, he was the chief tax collector in the region. Everyone say chief tax collector. And it says this, that he's become very, very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Anyone ever been in a crowd? And it's really hard to see when you're in a crowd, too many tall people. Uh, And it says this, so he ran ahead of where Jesus was. He runs ahead, he climbs a sycamore fig tree, which is uh, basically, I looked up, what does that mean? It's the most ordinary tree in the area. He climbs up the most ordinary tree in the area beside the road. So it's an ordinary tree in a great position. Think about that for later on. It's an ordinary tree in a perfect position. Uh, And Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down from the tree. You might hurt yourself. No, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, that's the crowd, were displeased. And they're talking about Jesus. They say, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save uh, those who were lost. This guy Zacchaeus is a really, a very, very important character in the Gospels. He's actually, he's actually, he's similar to a couple of other characters, but he's he's unique in a whole bunch of ways. Uh, number one, he's probably one of the most high-profile people who made a direct connection with Jesus. There's, there's a couple other really high-profile people. A guy, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, he was like high-profile. These are like celebrity types who connected with Jesus during his mission. And if you know about Nicodemus, he came, he came and met Jesus in the middle of the night because he didn't want all of his other celebrity friends to know that he was meeting with Jesus. Uh, there's, a lot of pe- there's a lot of poor people that Jesus connects with who and we don't know their names. And that's largely because the people who wrote the Gospels or told the stories, they didn't know their names. 
So the woman who was bleeding and, and, and blind Bartimaeus, they, they knew his name. He, he, well, they knew his family name. The blind guy who was the son of, you know, was one of the Smith boys, you know, blind Bartimaeus, right? So, but this guy Zacchaeus, everyone knows who he is. Uh, it says that he's the chief tax collector, and, and that does not mean he works at the IRD, although I know people who do work at the IRD are a little embarrassed about it anyway. Uh, but he's a whole nother level, right, than working at the IRD. Now, how the tax system works is that what, what he was in tro- control of, he was in control of that whole northern region of Israel. And he had a contract with the Roman overlords where he would collect taxes off the people, and then he'd pay some of them to Rome, and he would keep the difference. So if he was able to extract more tax off people than they, were, than they were legally required to pay, then he would get richer and richer and richer. He's this rich, high profile, he's wealthy, he's powerful, uh, this wealthy, powerful person. And the, the reality is, most of us don't have the, the sort of attitude that's going to allow Jesus to transform us. Maybe most of us, most of the time is a better way to think of it. Most of the time, we don't run ahead. Most of the time, we don't climb the tree. Most of the time, we just sort of operate in normal day life, right? Normal routine life. Like you get up in the morning and you... You do whatever, and then you go to work, and you come home, and you go to bed, and it's all, most of our life is sort of normal routine life. But I, but I think there's there's more. I think there's more to your Christianity than just normal routine. There's more to your Christianity than just fitting in at church even. There's more to Christianity than just reading more Bible. There's more to Christianity than just praying more prayers. There's this, 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 this whole dynamic to our faith that can explode in us when we realize our Christianity is about being in relationship with Jesus. It's about being in connection with Him. And something about Jesus said something to Zacchaeus that captured his heart. I don't know if you've ever been in those big crowd scenarios when you're trying to see something. I don't know if you've ever been in like a super hyped crowd. Like a super hyped crowd. The crowds that followed Jesus around were like crowds of 25,000. Like, so that's just a big, it's a big crowd of people, but it's got its own buzz, doesn't it? You know, because 25 people just talking to the neighbor about the weather has this buzz. Right? It's, it's, it's electric. 20, 25 people coughing is a deafening. 25,000 people coughing is a deafening thing. And Zacchaeus is in this crowd and he's trying to see Jesus. I just reckon it's funny. Jesus sees this one guy. There's 25,000 people. And Jesus sees this one guy. You know, there's only a hundred people here tonight. But Jesus sees you. Jesus is looking for you. Do you know, if you read through the whole narrative, the whole story around the story, Jesus arrives in Jericho. He walks through town. He sees a guy up a tree. He has lunch at his house, and that's it. He leaves town. He didn't do anything else. 
He literally did nothing else in Jericho. You read it. He walks in town, sees a guy on a tree, has lunch with the guy from up in the tree, walks out. That's it. You know, Jesus says, in parts of when Jesus is talking, he says he never does anything unless the Father tells him to do it. He never does anything he doesn't see the Father doing. I wonder if there was someone, there's just one person in the town that Jesus was there to meet. There's another bit where Jesus goes across the lake, meets the demon-possessed guy, and that's it, leaves. Never goes back to that side of the lake ever again. Meets this one madman, like a complete insane guy. Across the lake, meet the madman. Miracle for the madman, let's go. Jesus never went back to that whole region. He just needed to touch one person. He just needed to find one person. And, and tonight, I just want to tell you, there's a hundred of us here, but let's not think about a hundred. Let's understand the fact that Jesus is looking for you. He's looking for a person. He's looking for someone to open their heart. He's looking for someone to believe something bigger for their future. Now, whatever it is that the whole world has said about you, Jesus is wanting you to believe something bigger for your future, something brighter for your future, something bolder for your future, something brave for your future. The reality is, however you feel about yourself, I want to tell you, Jesus feels something different about you. What you see in your mirror, Jesus sees something different. He doesn't see you broken. He doesn't see you hurt. He doesn't see you disbelieving. He sees someone of power, someone of influence, someone who makes a difference. That's who Jesus is looking for. And he's here tonight just for one person. Times a hundred, but just one person. The, the, the thing about Jesus, and right through the New Testament, it's all about community and together, but it's always all about one person. There's this whole village that comes to Jesus. A whole village gets saved. But Jesus only spoke to one woman. He's looking for you. He's wanting to do something in you. In your world, he's wanting to break through. You've just got to get a look at Jesus. Um, you got to ask yourself sometimes, what is it that improves our view? You know, when you, when you, when you want to get a look at something more clearly, what do you do? If you're in a crowd or, or, or you see something in a distance, number one, you move closer to it, Right? You focus your attention on it. Sometimes to get a sometimes to get a real good look at something, you close one eye even to bring it into focus, sort of differently. Especially if you're a bit cross-eyed, you might need to do that. You you, you get closer to it. You focus on it. The reality is, if you could if you could see Jesus different, it would transform you. If you could see Jesus differently, it will set you free. Do you know, some people, I really believe actually Rachel is going to prophesy, but I just want to tell you, I really believe between now and the end of the year, God's going to completely change your vision. There's that, you know, it's almost actually you've had a vision for life that's got you here, and now he's changing it. I heard someone talking about getting from, if you're going from, it was an American guy, but he was saying, if you're going from, if you're going from, uh, from California to London, at some point, you're going to have to change from a car to an airplane. 
And I really believe that, that, that your vision for your life and your view of yourself has got you here, and it's awesome. But actually, God wants you to abandon some of it, and he wants to, He's going to give you a bigger picture, a bigger picture, which is going to bring a whole lot of meaning to the frustrations of this year. It's going to be like, oh, okay, I can see why this year has been so difficult, because God's changing the vehicle. He, Because he, the thing about God, He doesn't just give you a plane. What He does is He knocks the wheels off your car, and He jams wings on it, uh, and makes your car fly. You know, he change, It's all that that He's doing in you. And I really believe God say, just embrace that process and think, oh, come on, this is for a purpose. The frustration's for a purpose. The confusion's for a purpose. My life looks like a shambles because it's halfway through a transition, and God's bringing something awesome. Amen? Awesome. So number one, we've got to get a look at Jesus. Number two, we've got to climb a tree. These are my same points from this morning. Um, and, and to climb a tree is to humble yourself. See, Zacchaeus was this, this rich guy. He's this gangster type figure. He's got heaps and heaps of money. But he still ran ahead and climbed a tree. And uh, I was thinking about um, humility. And one of the things we... We say about humility all the time is humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Have you heard this before? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? So it's not thinking less of yourself, thinking of yourself less. Uh, other parts of the Bible to describe uh, like humble attitudes as having an accurate view of yourself. So humility is having an accurate view of yourself, having an accurate understanding of yourself. The I think for me, personally, one of the biggest limiting factors in my journey following Jesus is not when things go wrong. I think, I think in terms of me being close to Jesus or following Jesus wholeheartedly, I've had too many stretches where life's been good. I've had too many stretches where I've had enough money. I've had too many stretches where I've had enough friends. I've had too many stretches where I haven't had enough challenges. Because actually, when things go wrong, that's what drives me towards Jesus. So when I run out of money, do you know, what, when, I, do you know when I pray about provision? When I run out of money. <laughs> do I pray about provision the rest of the time? No, I don't really. Do you know when I pray for healing? When I am sick. Now, if you get sick, I'll pray for healing a little bit. But if I get sick, real faith arises. How many people have noticed that? Right? Yeah. If your mum is ill, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm praying, praying, you know, praying for so-and-so's mum. If my mum is ill, then real faith arises. Something stirs in me. Do you know, it's almost as if what Paul says is true. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It's almost like the power of sin backfires on sin because when we mess up, God's grace is so much richer. We understand it so much more clearly. Here's the thing about humility. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. Did you pray about your last challenge or did you have it all sorted? Because usually I don't. Usually I just work. So when I'm facing a challenge, normally I work. And if the challenge gets bigger, do you know what I normally do? I work hard. What, what am I saying about myself when I do that? I am saying that I can manage. I can manage this. I can do this. I can make this happen, right? Question is this. Can I? 
Can I, can I manage my life? Am I managing my life? Or does it just look like it? You know, if you're, if you're on a plane, you're traveling at 1,000 kilometers an hour or 700 kilometers an hour, right? But it looks like you're just walking. You're walking at 1,000 kilometers an hour when you walk from the front of the plane, the back of the plane to the front. Slightly faster. You're going faster than the plane. When you, when you walk back, you're going slightly less than 1,000 kilometers an hour. Huh? Very slightly. I think sometimes we think we're walking at 1,000 kilometers an hour. Look at me at university. And God's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> You're doing really good. Oh, look at me managing my finances. Look at me in my new job. Look at me with my family. Look at me being a great dad. Yeah, you're doing great, but maybe it's a good idea to acknowledge the power of God that's enabling you. Maybe it's a really good idea to acknowledge that you don't make money for you. God gave you the power to make money for yourself. Maybe it's a really good idea to acknowledge the fact that you don't make yourself breathe. You can't stop yourself breathing for more than about 20 seconds. You can't keep your heart beating. You don't even really understand how it works. All the blood goes from here to here to here to here and out, here to here to here and out, and it comes back in somehow. You, you know, even if you, I've even talked to doctors who don't really understand. In fact, I was at the hospital, I had a really painful foot, and they found out that they figured out these doctors, junior doctors in the, in the ED, they were like, oh, we reckon there's blood in the joint, right, in the, between the joint. That's where the pain was coming from. And it was really painful when they said, we need to aspirate the joint, these doctors said. And they had a confident look on their faces. And they said, okay, whatever, it needs to stop hurting really, really soon, right? Uh, otherwise, I'm going to chew my foot off, right? And, um, and uh, so they're going to aspirate the joint, right? And so they, they got a marker pen, you know, that's not, they were going to use a needle to get the, actually to get the blood out, but they got a marker pen and they're marking parts of my ankle and then they're going back out through the curtain, you can hear them chatting away, and then they come back in and mark somewhere else. And then they go back out, and they'll be chatting away and talking on the phone, and they come around, around, back and forth and come back in. And I talked to my friend who's an ED doctor. I said, what do you think they were doing? In the end, they got the, they got the needle, and they chose one of the marks that they had marked on my foot. They put it in there, hit exactly the right spot, got the blood out, and the pain went away straight away. I was like, wow, that's awesome. I'm going home, right? So it's all good. But I talked to my friend who's a doctor, ED doctor, on the Sunday. I said, what, would they do? what do you think they're doing? And they, he was like, There's, they would never have done that before. What they would have been doing is they're coming in, guessing where they thought it was. Then they would have been going back out to the computer in the corridor to Google ankles. Because if they got it in the wrong place, A, it wouldn't have helped at all. B, they could have really hurt your foot, right? So they went back and forth. And I said, that's ridiculous. He goes, the chances are they'll never do one ever again. So it doesn't really matter. There's no point in them really learning how to do it. They did it once. They hit it lucky. Your foot doesn't hurt anymore. Everybody's happy. Right? And they would have been Googling it and talking to the senior doctor who didn't want to come in and do it himself. He would have been saying, no, you can do it. You boys can do it. Yeah, just, just check again. Make sure you get it right. If you get it wrong, you're going to really hurt his foot. Uh, but what do we do? We wake up in the morning. Whew, we don't even give thought to the fact that we didn't die. And maybe that's a bit of a crushing thought to think about every heartbeat. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But there's an attitude of, of gratitude. Oh, my gosh. There's a, a gracious attitude of thanksgiving that we could adopt that simply says my life's not going to be all about me. 
I'm not just going to collect tax and make myself secure and rich and powerful. I'm going to be prepared to run ahead and find Jesus because I desperately need him. I desperately need him when things are going well. I desperately need him when things are falling apart. I desperately need him right now. I desperately need him on payday. I desperately need him when I, got my, when I lose my job. I desperately need him when I just got promoted. I need Jesus in my world. I have to live my life dependent upon him or else I'm living in a dream. I'm living in a fantasy land. You're just dreaming if you think you've got it all sorted. It only looks like you have it sorted. Right? He's got it sorted. You're just walking down the plane. Do you know, I was thinking, I mentioned it this morning, Shout Conference is such an interesting thing for me because uh, one of my jobs is to get people there. Come on, go. you got to get there. you got to get there, you know. Come on, come to Shout. And we get, try and make it as cheap as possible. We try and get people there. But, but I think going to conference for a week is a humble thing to do. And I think one of the things that perhaps comes across us is that you, when someone says, hey, you should go to Shout, you're sitting there thinking, well, they just want me to go. I don't know why. Why would I go? Why would I, why would I put myself in a place for a week where it's just church and church and church for a week? Well, because, because you need to is why you'd go. If you don't need to, then probably don't go because you're not going to get much out of it. You, you go because you think, man, actually, I need an environment like that where I can be ministered to, where I can be challenged to grow, where God can speak into my life, where my heart can just soften in God's presence over a whole week, right? I actually need that. I go to two conferences, actually three conferences every year, and every time I'm like, oh, man, there's a whole week out of my day, my life. The whole shed load of money is way too expensive, don't want to go. The speakers are idiots anyway. I'm smarter than them. Yeah, I'm not joking. I think this. Uh, and most of the time, it's true. <laughs> well, no, it's not true. It's not. It's always true. But actually, it only takes usually the first session of being in a conference environment for me to think, oh, man, I'm so glad. I put myself in this environment where God can speak to me. Because what am I doing? I'm, get a, I'm actually getting a better perspective on myself that says, actually, no, oh, it's not about Jordan Smith being super pastor or super dad or super businessman. It's just about Jordan Smith actually getting a revelation that I need Jesus at work in my world. Very good. Okay, okay. So find yourself a space. Now, I reckon, I reckon as soon as you draw a diagram of anything, it's already wrong, all right? So anytime you draw a diagram about a spiritual process, you've got it wrong as soon as you draw it. But sometimes the diagram and the ideas can be helpful, right? Okay, so uh, the, Mark, you turn it around so people can read it. That's why I wrote it down. So Mark is transformation. Ever say transformation? Anusa is relationship. Dana is humility. Ever say humility? Come on, say it humble. Say it humbly. Go on, say it humbly. I'm just trying to think what it would sound like. But anyway, uh, Alistair, Alistair is new behaviors. Uh, Julius is new results. Okay, and then Jack is grace. And I've changed grace from, if you were here this morning, I called it connection this morning. I've changed it to grace, right? Okay, very, very good. So transformation, relationship, humility, new behaviors, new results, and grace. Now, anytime you hear a sermon uh, that you think, wow, I really want to do that. I really want to respond to that. It's because there's some new results you want to see. Right? Anytime you're inspired by a story about someone giving and then they got a breakthrough and you think, I'm going to give too, what you want is new results, right? And when you think about your life, you're frustrated because you want different results. 
I'm getting these results in my life. I've got this bunch of useless friends. I want a better group of friends. I've got this sort of a job. I want a better job. I've got this sort of a bad attitude. I want a better attitude. I've got this sort of results at uni. I want these sort of results. We want new results in our life, right? And if you think about it, these are the, this is the only one that's probably in order of our people. You, to, to get new results, you've got to have new behaviors, right? So this is our destination. So we'll put you over here, Julius. You, you've got to be somewhere else, Jack. Grace has got to be somewhere else. And new behaviors is directly connected with new results, right? Okay. So this is how, this is how religion works. Religion says you need different results because look how evil and sinful you all are, you filthy bunch of mongrels, right? So here's a list of new behaviors that we would like you to at least pretend to be doing between now and next week. If you're not doing these behaviors, make sure we don't hear about it or we'll kick your ass up. You will kick you out of church, right? (laughs) One of the things is to not swear. There's to be no swearing. Okay? Right? So new behavior and new results. And then once you've got new results, then you're going to get relationships. So Anusa comes down here, over here by results. So once you behave better, you'll get better results in your life. Now you can fit into church, and so we can expect that Jesus is at work in your life. And so grace, we'll put grace down here. And then what, what we'll do is we'll put transformation in here. So you just go there. And then humility, we don't actually need you for this process, so you just sit over there. Okay, so sit down, humility, humbly over there. Okay, so this is, this is, if you went to Sunday school, this is what you accidentally heard. No one was trying to teach you this, but this is what human nature inside of you changed what they said into. Okay? Behave better, and that will transform you so you'll get different results in your life. Then Jesus will be your friend, and we call it grace. Okay, now it actually, that, see, that, that looks, that be, it's why you change it to, because this is how your job works, right? Behave better in your job, you'll be transformed, into, in your, your, the way people see you will transform, because you've got different results. Now people will like you, the boss gets on side with you, you get a promotion, right? Uh, train better, your body is changed to more, f- greater levels of fitness, right? You get some new results, now people start to notice what you're doing. You get selected for the team, and you represent the national team, right? This is how the whole world works. But how many people know that Jesus turned it all upside down, right? So this is the thing. This is the thing. It goes differently now. So now new results, you go at the end. So you go right at the end because our goal is new results. Now, new behaviors can't be here. How many of you have tried new behaviors? I'm going to go to bed early every night this week. Said said everyone, every Sunday night, right? (laughs) Yeah. But once the problem is Netflix and the episodes just start too quickly. That's what I found. The episodes start too quickly. uh, And before you know it, it's already time to go to work. So new behaviors are impossible. It's an impossible starting point. It's an impossible starting point. Every educationist knows you can't start there if you're trying to teach someone new. Okay, just do this. Do what? Yeah, so new, new behaviors actually goes right down by new results. Yeah. And it actually all starts with humility. So you're actually the star. You're actually the star of the show. Yeah, yeah. So you climb the tree. You climb the tree. 
and then grace enters your life. Because the Bible's, the Bible's clear, grace is available to everyone, but God resists the proud. So when we approach God with pride, he's actually resisting us. That's why the people say, people who say, well, prove to me that God is real. They might have, they're, they're just blowing air. They're, nothing's going to happen in their world. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So depending on what's going on in someone's heart, sometimes people will say that out of their mouth, but it's not really what's going on in their heart. Right? But when we humble ourselves and say, I desperately need Jesus, I'm prepared to climb any tree I can find to get a view of him. Then the grace of God comes upon us. Jesus sees us. You know, in in, uh, Chronicles, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and through throughout the earth. And we all know that God is watching us from a distance because Beth Midler sung it. But the only reason God's looking, 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 looking is to see who he can come behind to see who he can fully support. That's what God's looking for. God's looking for who can he, who can he connect with? Because humility creates a space for him to work, for God to connect with us. And Jesus just doesn't spot us in the tree and say, hey, we'd go in a tree. He says, no, I want to come and have lunch at your house. When Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, it's one of the most shocking things that he did in the Gospels. It's possibly just as shocking as, remember the woman who was brought naked before Jesus? She'd been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus managed to turn the crowd around from killing her. This moment when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house would have been as shocking to those looking on. That's why it says they were all shocked. He's going to have dinner with a notorious sinner. It sounds polite to us because the people who translated the Bible were polite people, right? But they weren't being polite. The crowd wasn't being polite when they said that. They're saying, hey, man, why would he have lunch with that scumbag? I'm trying to think of, there's other words you could use. Imagine them. So once Jesus is having lunch at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus then says, jump over here, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'm going to give half of everything I own and earn. 50% of everything I earn from now on is going to be given. Right? That's a new behavior. And he says, I'm going to return 300% on everything I've stolen. He's only required to return 25% by the law. He's only required to give 10%. But he says, I'm going to give 50% and I'm going to return 25, 300%. These new behaviors. And we know that that's going to produce a different life for Zacchaeus. Because those are behaviors that are going to release the blessing of God into his community in a powerful way. But Jesus said something interesting. He says to Zacchaeus, how many of you know when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give, he hadn't yet given anything. Right? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't complied with the law yet. But Jesus says to Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus makes these statements about these new behaviors he's going to do, Jesus said, today you're blessed, Zacchaeus, because salvation has come to your house today. transformation happens before there's any change in your behavior. The changes you need in your behavior, think of the thing, the habits you've got you don't want to have, the ways of thinking that you don't want to have, the sort of life you have you don't want to have. It, you can't change it here. You can change it way back here. And you say, God, there's these things in my world that I don't want to change. And Jesus just says, well, you just need to connect with me. Zacchaeus wasn't up the tree saying, hey, Jesus. He was just up the tree trying to see Jesus. 
I don't need anything. I just need to see him. I just need to, I need to, I need to connect with him somehow. And that grace releases the open door for relationship. That relationship transforms us. Then our life changes in the visible. But if you keep trying to jump in here, all you're going to do is frustrate yourself between now and when you're 60. Or when you're 40 and you just say, well, there's no point doing this anymore. How, how many friends have you got who, who actually, just, because they can't deal with their habits and their problems, and they, they feel like they can't fit into the Christian vibe, they walk away from the whole thing, really because of a misunderstanding of this process? It's not like working out at the gym. Working out at the gym, you, if you do the work here, you get the results. You don't have to be humble. You don't need the grace of God. If you are humble, it's going to be better, <laughs> right? But you can just do the behaviors and get the results. But when it comes to Jesus, he just doesn't do this transactional stuff. He, it's all got to be in this relational space. This is where transformation takes place. Cool. You can, if you put the paces back there, that'd be brilliant. I'll save those up for next time. I'll put them away in my careful filing system. Very, very good. You know, the reason I, the reason I picked this story to talk about, and the musicians, the rest of the musicians, why don't you come? The reason I picked this story to talk about is because we are receiving an offering. And I'm really believing that we'd become a church where 80% of people give rather than just 20%. Uh, no, not because, not because I need more money, but literally the more money we have, the easier it is to plan stuff, the easier it is to pay for stuff. Um, so the, I'm not, I don't want, I don't not want more money. Uh, but the reason I want people to give is because we, we, the Bible says, Jesus says actually where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that if, if people give into the house of God, into the family of God, then your heart's going to connect with the family of God. And it's actually your heart connection that empowers our church. Fin financially is one thing, but it, it's heart connection. It's an agreement that says, hey, let's be together. Let's work together. Let's see God do something great in our city. That's what really makes a difference in Wellington. Now, the reality is, I, I could talk to you about sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping. And I could give you testimonies of people who have given and given sacrificially and God did great things in them. But it's all for nothing if you don't understand, hey, I need Jesus in my world. See, I believe that if you can see Jesus more clearly, you'll see money more clearly. If you see Jesus more clearly, you'll understand that money is not something to worry about. Money is something to rule over. Money is something to take charge of. The biggest problem with money is that because people need it so much, want it so much, they chase it so they can get nice things or they chase it so they can be secure. They chase it so much that money rules over them. People who spend too much, money is in charge. People who save everything, money is in charge. Well, I'm just being sensible. Well, that's well and good. Well, I'm just having a good time. Well, that's well and good. But the reality is that money is controlling most of us most of the time. And that we need to go through this process saying, no, I need to see Jesus different. I want him to be at work in my world so that actually I can see differently and get different results with money that comes through the relationship with God. And so that's what, you know, we've, it's a roundabout way to talk about an offering. But I've actually been doing it for the last six weeks, talking about what the church is, talking about what the, the mission of God is, talking about the love of God. Not, not talking too much about money, but it's really been about money. Because I know we're receiving this offering and I, I want to receive the offering from the basis that, hey, as a church, let's be the church of God. As a church, let's relate with Jesus and allow Him to speak to us. And so we'll receive the offering in just a minute. But before we do that, I'd love to pray with people who want to uh, connect with Jesus.
You know, so, so often in life we think that we have to, we just, I think all of our thinking is transactional that says, if I do this, then they'll do that. So if I say, hey, Alistair, how are you doing? Alistair will say, hey, Jordan, how are you? And that normal transaction is most of the time is really helpful because it saves awkwardness of what do I say, what do I say? Just say hello, and he'll say hello back. It's nice and easy, right? But transaction goes even bigger than that. You know, I do a drawing at, in, at school, and I say to Alistair, oh, I really hate my drawing. Your drawing's much better than mine. And I say that because I know if I say that, Alistair will say to me, no, your drawing's really good, Jordan. It's brilliant. Your drawing's even better than mine. You're not such a loser like you keep making out, but you're only doing it so that we'll give you compliments anyway. Now, that's transactional as well. How are you going? Oh, I've been really busy. Wow, because I want you to think that I'm a really hard worker. Oh, how are you going? Oh, yeah, we've, we've been, I've been going well, right? And it just go back and forth and back and forth. And I say this to get this off you. When it comes to Jesus, there's, there's no transaction. He just loves you and he died for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to stop doing anything. You don't have to start doing anything. It's 2,000 years ago. It's too late to change now. He's already done it. He's already paid the bill. He's already covered the cost. He's already made the difference in your world. The only thing that's, that you have to choose is, will you live like that's true or not? The fact that it's true remains historically verifiable that Jesus rose from the dead. 500 people saw him at one time. No one has ever throughout history been able to accurately or credibly refute the historical claims of Jesus' resurrection. So it's true, but it makes no difference to you if you ignore it. If I pay your bill at a restaurant and you choose to pay anyway, that's fine. But he's already paid. Oh, I need to really sort myself out. Yeah, maybe you do. But Jesus already paid for your sin. He's already paid for your shortcoming. You can simply receive the grace of God and begin to trust in Him. And your life will be transformed. Not in a, wow, it's lotto sort of a way. But that's not what you want anyway. Jesus just becomes real in your life. He becomes real in your struggle. He becomes real in your pain. And you're guaranteed then a place of certainty in eternity that you can find nowhere else. Jesus gives you a certainty into eternity that you'll find in no other religion, you'll find in no other philosophy, a confidence that says, no, Jesus has prepared a place for me, and I can trust in Him. I can trust in Him now, and I can trust in Him into eternity.